So what do you do when the world that you have known changes unexpectedly in a moment? There was once a nation that was led by a king named Uzziah. And Uzziah was a good king. He was a successful king, prosperous. And he reigned for 52 years. Got into some trouble at the end of his life. And God concluded his ministry as king. But think about it. For 52 years... The same man in leadership. That meant that as you were growing up, Uzziah was king. And as you raised your children, the only king they had ever known was King Uzziah. And perhaps even grandchildren, Uzziah was king. And there was a stability. People people who lived during the 1930s and 40s can relate to the fact that during those years, FDR was always the president was elected four times. We don't even do that anymore. But there was a stability during that critical time in American history where people, when they looked to leadership, saw the same face. And so it was especially disarming in 1945 when FDR suddenly died. And the nation grieved because that which had given a sense of stability was no longer the case. And everything changed. After 52 years, Uzziah died. And that is the beginning of the passage of Scripture that I would invite you to turn to, Isaiah chapter 6. Familiar words. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, says Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord say, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. As Sherry and I sat in our living room on September 11th, 2001, and we watched the events in New York City and in Washington, D.C. unfold, there was one word that would have described what we were feeling at that moment, and it was vulnerable. We didn't know what was happening. We were not prepared for it, and we didn't know what was going to happen that night or the day after or in the weeks and months to come, and we felt vulnerable 
And perhaps that is the emotion that you are feeling this morning. What do we do? How do I process all of this? I believe that this passage in Isaiah, in a time of mourning, describes for us how we can work through in these very initial stages a moment in life that we didn't see coming. A moment in life where perhaps you're feeling quite vulnerable. The first thing that Isaiah wants us to see is God. In the year that King Uzziah died, with all of that background of how long he had reigned and what he meant to the nation, I saw the Lord. The vision is one of God on his throne, high and exalted. That is just what Isaiah needed to see during this time of vulnerability. As he was processing the loss that had occurred in his own life because he had been a close friend of King Uzziah, the first thing that he draws our attention to is seeing God. But not just seeing God, seeing God for who he is, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And I love the fact that at the end of verse 1, he says, and the train of his robe, just the back portion of his robe, filled the temple. That tells us a little bit about the size of the God that he is beholding. When life seems to be spinning out of control, our first answer is to see God for who he really is. He is not rattled. He is not anxious. He is not worried. He is not surprised. He has not been caught off guard by anything that has taken place in our lives here today or even yesterday or next week or next month. The God that we serve remains on the throne and he remains omnipotent. He remains omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is unchanging. The God that we serve is high and lifted up. He is big, big enough to deal with whatever we're dealing with. And he is sovereign enough to still be governing all of the events. In a word, our God is large and in charge. And nothing will ever come into my life or your life that will change that. He is God Almighty. But there's something else that we need to see about God, and that is we need to see his hand. We need to see his activity. And so Isaiah goes on to say, beginning in verse 5, Woe to me! I am ruined! For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then on to verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. There is a belief system called deism that believes that God exists, but that he does not interfere or intervene in the universe. He's there, but he sort of spun the universe into activity, and then he just backed off, and he no longer is engaged. We don't believe that. And one of the reasons we don't believe that is because of this passage of Scripture. We believe that God is actively engaged even during a time of crisis, even during a time of mourning. 
And what we find here in verse 5 is that Isaiah's first response is, having beheld the holiness of God, he looks inward at himself. Now that's an unusual response. Because when we go through a time of crisis, one of the tendencies that we have is we love to be able to figure out exactly who's to blame. Who's responsible? Who did this? There's got to be a committee formed to study this. There's got to be money spent to investigate this. We just love to do that. If you watch the news, you know there's always some type of investigation going on because we want to find out who did this. But notice that when we say who is responsible, usually our finger is pointing outward. But that wasn't the case for Isaiah. When Isaiah beheld God for who he was, his initial response was not, who can I blame? Who's responsible for Uzziah's death? In fact, if Uzziah had behaved himself, he'd still be alive today. We don't get that attitude. Instead, what we get is an inward look. Woe is me. Now, you've got to understand something about this context. Isaiah was the best that the nation had to offer. In terms of godliness, in terms of spirituality, Isaiah was at the absolute top of the hill. There was nobody who loved God more than Isaiah. And he lived among a people who were often prone to wander into sin. But instead of Isaiah saying, I know why this happened, this happened because of a sinful nation, Isaiah instead turns and says, I need to deal with myself. You see, when we do that, it eliminates any sense of me judging you. I can't wag my finger at you. I need to turn it inward and wag it at myself first. Woe is me. A few years ago, I was driving down the street of the town that I was living in, and a person ran a red light and almost hit me. And I remember giving a very impersonal critique of their driving to myself. I was by myself. Man, I'll tell you what, these people have no regard for the law. We have rules in this town about how you ought to drive. And I think anybody who doesn't follow the basic rules of driving, a fine isn't enough. They should throw them in jail and lock, lock them away and swallow the key. And I was really getting righteous until I glanced down and realized that I had forgotten to put my seatbelt on that morning. At the very moment that I was trying to stand in judgment of someone who indeed had done something wrong, I was oblivious to the fact that I was violating the law as well. For Isaiah, there is no judgment. For Isaiah, there is first the inward look, the perspective that says, I too am part of this nation. I too am a sinner in need of God. And then observe that even in the midst of this critical moment, notice the hand of God at work. Isaiah has this critical moment of breakthrough. Woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live with people who have unclean lips. And now I've seen the king of glory and the holiness of God. And then one of the seraphim flew, verse 6, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth, says Isaiah, and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What was God doing? He was sanctifying his servant. The death of King Uzziah, 
Isaiah's encounter with the holiness of God was not random, but it was part of a work that God was doing. And Isaiah wants us to see that when we go through an unexpected crisis, God and his hand are at work, even in this, to do something. This isn't to be wasted. Crucial moments, unexpected words are part of God's process for sanctifying us. He was preparing Isaiah for something. Reminds me of Job. Job was a righteous and godly man. And yet God introduced pain into his life. And at the beginning of his, his painful experience, Job doesn't understand. God, why? I'm a good guy. I go to prayer meeting. I tithe. I read my Bible. Well, the Old Testament, the New Testament had been written yet. Why all this pain? And he really, it was a mystery to him. And a lot of the book of Job is, is a, the mystery. And then we get to the end. And this is what Job says. You know, God, I thought I knew you. But now I really know you. I thought that I was in pretty good standing with you. I thought I understood you. But at the very end, Job says, but now I know you in a far deeper way. When unexpected things come into our lives, they are not random. They are part of God's active plan, his hand at work, not just corporately, but even individually. But observe three quick things about this. First of all, God initiates the process. The seraphim did not come to Isaiah because Isaiah asked him to. The seraphim flew with that live coal because he had been instructed to by God. The process of sanctification does not begin with me. It begins with God. Job might have thought, that something that he did started the process. But the reality was, we know from the beginning of the book, we know that it was God who started it all. Secondly, notice that the process is painful. I often overlooked this when I was a kid reading this passage of Scripture. For whatever reason, I didn't plug in. But a live coal on your lips, that hurts. Let's not reenact that because that's painful. That's hard. And yet it was part of the process that God was using. I wish I could tell you that when you find yourself in a crisis and you see God high and lifted up, that there will be no pain, that it will not hurt. But that is not the case. A.W. Tozer once wrote, A sculptor does not use a manicure set to reduce the rude, unshapely marble to a thing of beauty. The saw, the hammer, and the chisel are cruel tools, but without them, the rough stone must remain forever formless and unbeautiful. Sometimes God uses the hammer and the chisel, and it hurts us. Can I encourage you this morning, don't run from that pain. Don't put up a wall. Don't flee every time that you experience pain because God is in the pain. And he's at work, and he's at work in you today. He's at work in your congregation today, even on a painful day. He's doing his work. And then thirdly, notice that not only is the process God-initiated, and not only is the process painful, but the process is good. God says to Isaiah, 
See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. The pain came first and then the guilt was removed. Bill Hybels used to call the gospel the good news after the bad news. The bad news is I'm a sinner and I need to acknowledge my sin. The good news is I have a savior who can deal with my sin. But we've got to deal with the bad news first. I need the touch of God in my life. That great passage in Romans chapter 8 that we often quote, sometimes too glibly, that God is using all things for his glory and for my good. Everything. Even God-initiated pain is ultimately good if it's accomplishing his purpose. Sometimes that which causes pain can be good. Late in 1999, a man took a laser and cut my throat. And it hurt. And if I were to just tell you that and we walk away from that, you'd say, poor Tim. But let me give you a little backstory. I had found that at the end of preaching twice and teaching every Sunday, I was starting to get a gravelly voice consistently. And I couldn't sing, I couldn't lead singing, and I, it was really getting difficult even to get through a Sunday without being almost unable to talk. And I went to the doctor and they ran some tests and they concluded that I had a polyp on my vocal cord. And so the man was a doctor, a trained doctor, and he took that laser and he put me under and he removed that polyp. And I wasn't able to preach that weekend wasn't able to sing. Well, I've never really been able to sing, but you know what I'm saying. I wasn't able to do any ministry that weekend, and that was painful because that's kind of what I do. But praise God, it's been more than 20 years, and those polyps have not returned, and I have never had the same problem ever again. But it required some surgery, and it required some anesthesia to deal with the discomfort. But in the end, even in that, God was working. Sometimes God allows us to go through things for our good. Don't run from it. And then finally, and this is so critical because our tendency as human beings is to get focused on ourselves. Please observe at the end of this story, Isaiah wants us not only to see God high and lifted up, and he not only wants us to see the hand of God at work, but he wants us to see the mission of God. In verse 8, Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. The temptation today, when we go through a difficult season, is to make the focus ourselves, our response, our pain, our feelings. But Isaiah wants us to see something very important. The mission today for Erie Alliance Church has not changed. The mission that you were called to individually and collectively has not changed today. Nothing that has happened today has changed that. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? God cares about you today. His compassion is running toward you today. But God also cares about the people who have never heard the life-changing message of the gospel. People who live in your neighborhood. And we cannot afford to get our eyes off of the mission today. We've got to mourn. We've got to grieve. But we've got to move forward. 
God, what do you want me to be about? Jesus said, other sheep still need to hear. I must go to them as well. In the midst of the pain and the loss, God wants us to see that there's a mission that occupies his heart. And it can be easy to get sidetracked. We can't afford it. Because Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And there are lots of lost people. While marching from Portugal to a position in Madrid to deal with the French forces, the Duke of Wellington received a letter in 1812 that basically said, we had asked you from corporate, we had asked you from headquarters to do a very detailed summary of every item that we had given you in order to win the battle. We have enumerated our saddles, bridle, tents, tent poles, all manner of sundry items that the majesty's government had given you in order to be successful. And then he received a letter saying, the sum of one shilling and nine pence remains unaccounted for. And the Duke of Wellington sat down and wrote a letter that has become rather famous back to his majesty's home office. I regret the fact that the sum of one shilling and nine pence remains unaccounted for in one infantry battalion's petty cash and that there has been hideous confusion as the number of jars of raspberry jam issued to one cavalry regiment during a sandstorm in western Spain. This is reprehensible and the carelessness may be related to the presence of circumstances since we are at war with France a fact which may come as a bit of a surprise to you gentlemen in Whitehall. This brings me to my present purpose, which is to request elucidation of my instructions from His Majesty's government so that I may better understand why I am dragging an army over these barren plains. I construe that perforce it must be one of two alternative duties as given below. I shall pursue either one with the best of my ability, but I cannot do both. One, to train an army of uninformed British clerks in Spain for the benefit of the accountants and copyboys in London, or perchance to see to it that the forces of Napoleon are driven out of Spain. Yours truly, the Duke of Wellington. What's it going to be? You're going to get sidetracked? You're going to lose yourself in the details? Or are we going to say collectively, we're still on mission and there are people that need Jesus, and we will move forward together to accomplish the mission that God has given this church for many years. Would you pray with me? Father, your love is evident, and we have sensed it today. And you care. You care about us. You care what we're feeling. Help us to see you for who you really are today. A God who is strong. Help us to see ourselves today in need of a Savior. Help us to see your hand at work even today. 
And help us not to lose track of the mission that you've called us to, for that has not changed today. Lord, the question that immediately jumps into our minds is, how are you going to do this? Because right now we, we don't know. We don't know what the future is going to look like, and that unnerves us. But as we read your word, it has really never been a problem for you. You have always made a way. You have always been there in those unexpected moments of life, strong and in charge. And so when we don't have answers, you do. May our posture be one of kneeling at your feet, waiting on you as you lead and guide. We have all of this at our disposal because of Jesus, and we praise him for it. Amen.